This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What's up, everybody? BJ Cruz here from Two Jabronis with a wrestling podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Now, those of you listening on the Fight Game Podcast and Top Rope Nation are probably and rightfully thinking, wait a minute, this is not the sultry tones of Double G, John, or Ryan, Kyle, or Justin, and I just want to reassure you that this is not a mistake. Let me fill you in. So, With ESPN and WWE teaming up to air a few classic WrestleManias on actual ESPN airwaves, and yes, that was on ESPN, not ESPN2 or ESPN News or, I don't know, the Ocho. (laughs) I'm talking ESP freaking N. The wrestling and combat sports podcasts on the Blue Wire Network thought it'd be a great idea to team up and relive these WrestleManias with ESPN and, of course, with you, our fantastically faithful listeners. So, this is what we're going to do. We're going to rewatch these WrestleManias along with you, and then each of us individually is going to pick our favorite match or moments of the card and break it down, not like DX, but documentary style. Sound good? So, we're going to kick things off like ESPN did last night with WrestleMania 30, live from the Superdome, in New Orleans, Louisiana. A few things to note about WrestleMania 30 before we move on to each of our favorite matches. It took place on Sunday, April 6th, 2014, with a staggering sold-out attendance of 75,167 people. This was the very first pay-per-view streamed on the then-fairly-new WWE Network. The card consisted of seven matches, one on the pre-show, and six on the main card. The main card ran a now seemingly brisk three hours and 53 minutes. This was also the debut of the now maligned Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Get this, it was actually one of the main card matches. No pre-show for the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Alright, I'm going to take some of The Rock's advice here and know my role, and shut my mouth, and throw it to one of my Blue Wire Wrestling Podcast brethren, Double G from the Fight Game Podcast, for our first breakdown from WrestleMania 30. Alright, this is Double G from the Fight Game Podcast. My favorite match moment from WrestleMania 30 is just the entire Daniel Bryan storyline. And here's why. So you have to actually go back a little bit of a ways uh, to 
tell the full Daniel Bryan story, though, you know, I won't tell the full thing here, but there are a couple of of tidbits of information that that uh, you need to know in order to to tell this story from WrestleMania 30. So, obviously, Batista versus Randy Orton was going to be the, the main event of that show. B- bringing back Batista at this time was, was a big deal. He hadn't been around for, I believe, four years, almost four years. And uh, he went to uh, Hollywood and, and started to do his thing. And, you know, he's eventually he's in the Avengers. So bringing him back is a big deal. Randy Orton is the uh, chosen one as, as the champion. Uh, Triple H and Stephanie are running the show. And so Daniel Bryan has a bunch of things, hurdles ahead of him uh, in order to culminate uh, the story of WrestleMania 30. But Daniel Bryan's not even supposed to be in this match, which is which is quite hilarious when you look back because it was such it was the moment, uh, I, you know, one one of the the moments, you know, the Undertaker and Brock Lesnar is memorable as well. But originally, Daniel Bryan was supposed to face Sheamus in just a random match uh, on the card, kind of the uh, two year anniversary of of the match that kind of spiraled uh, Daniel into being such a fan favorite when Sheamus destroyed him very quickly. Um, and then it was supposed to be Triple H versus CM Punk, but CM Punk, he leaves after the Royal Rumble. He's very fed up with the company, and, you know, he does, he doesn't want to do it anymore. He's, he's just done with, with WWE. So Daniel Bryan kind of slides in there, and they didn't really, they still didn't really have the plan for him to be in that match until about a month before the show, and then they just decided to go all in. You know, part of it was Punk left, so Triple H, that match wasn't there, and then the fans just really wanted Daniel Bryan. That storyline was working, and, you know, Stephanie will will say later, like, oh, you know, we just had to listen to the fans, And, and really, you know, I guess that is somewhat partially true because they eventually did, but they were very much stubborn um, because you could see this thing coming from from Brian uh, from you know months and months before. So I think the um, the match with Triple H to kind of kick off the show after the promo with the three legends of Hogan, Rock, and Austin was a really strong match. Like you know, if you want to see Triple H have a match where it's sort of close to you know what you would consider you know New Japan strong style, that's the match that that you would look at. It's probably Triple H's last really good match at WrestleMania too. If I'm thinking back, you know, he had the match with Sting, which was fine, but it wasn't good. It was a sort of a culmination of a weird story of WCW. Some you know several 15 uh, I don't know how many years later whatever but um you know then he'd have the match at Roman Reigns at the at uh, in Dallas which was not good it was very long but I wouldn't call it a good match he's had ones with Seth Rollins and Batista I wouldn't call those matches good either so I think this was this was really uh, maybe his his last really good WrestleMania match but anyway the 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 storytelling in that match was very smart, um, you know, whatever you think about Triple H uh, as a wrestler, and, you know, he's really good. I don't I don't always love all of his matches. I think some of them he forces us, he forces his style down our throat a little bit too much, but he really adapted to, to the style that Daniel Bryan was, was wrestling successfully, and so when he, when Daniel Bryan beats Triple H finally with that, that flying knee, uh, it was really, it was really the 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 moment where you're like watching this going like okay I think I think they're gonna do what I hope they're gonna do 
And so you go all the way to the main event, Randy Orton, Batista, Daniel Bryan comes in, Triple H had worked on the arm the whole match, so he's beat up. And it is really uh, another, you know, just really good storytelling from WWE in putting all the odds against Daniel Bryan. You know, it's not just Batista, and it's not just Randy Orton. It's also Triple H. It's also Stephanie. It's also Scott Armstrong, uh, the the referee. Um, and so, you know, just putting all of those hurdles up in front of Daniel Bryan made the the finish of that match, which was him tapping out Batista uh, in, with the with the yes lock, um, the LaBelle lock to to win the match and to win both titles, really culminated, uh, really you know just made that moment special. And you know you can look back, you know people think that you know WrestleMania is always this like great uh, babyface, you know wins the whole thing. But, you know, there's many, many times where, you know, they, the story that they tell isn't really that, like, happy, great story. Um, you know, I can, you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, John Cena beating Triple H at WrestleMania 22 to where you're like, okay, okay, you know, they really did the right thing here. Um, thinking back to WrestleMania 20, which in hindsight is maybe not as great of a moment, probably not, not really a great moment, but culminating with Eddie Guerrero defending his title, Chris Benoit winning the title, and then they celebrate in the ring together. Um, but, you know, you you often have moments in WrestleMania with you know, Triple H and Randy Orton, WrestleMania 25, where you're just left flat because that's the story they wanted to tell and and they, were, they, they want to continue that story. So really kudos to WWE for this show. They, it took them a while. They were really stubborn. But at the end of the day, they did the right thing. Um, the one thing that is... When you look at this and you rewatch this back, like Daniel Bryan is taking these nasty over the head bumps and falling on the back of his shoulders. And it's more dangerous than I remember. But then again, you know, a lot of the stuff he had to tone down his style when he when he unretired. And so he doesn't do a lot of that stuff anymore, though. He, he kind of does try and replicate some of it, which does scare me as a Daniel Bryan fan. Uh, but anyways, just want to thank uh, Ben and Jeremy and ryan blue wire synergy check out their podcast for sure uh, top rope nation and uh, two jabronis uh and uh thanks for including me that is my wrestlemania 30 memory thanks double g and now the sort of new kid on the block for wrestling podcasts on blue wire from top rope nation the legend himself ryan drosty with his favorite wrestlemania 30 moment What's going on, everyone? This is Ryan Drosty of the Top Rope Nation Wrestling Podcast here on Blue Wire. You can also find my written work over at comicbook.com for CBS Interactive. And talking about one of my favorite moments from WrestleMania 30, and it's definitely, most specifically, the ending, but uh, the Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker match from the Superdome in New Orleans. And I think when you think about WrestleMania 30, it's hard to not think of this match. Now, obviously, Daniel Bryan in the main event, getting his crowning achievement as the undisputed heavyweight champion that night is what a lot of people think of. But I think a lot of people also think about the reaction we saw from that live crowd in the Superdome 
when everyone saw The Undertaker lose for the very first time at WrestleMania. And one of the things that struck me watching this back here on ESPN during their replay on Sunday night, hadn't seen the match uh, in a few years, was just how kind of disengaged the crowd was during this match. And I think some of that is just because nobody really thought The Undertaker would lose. You know, it was kind of this... You know, we we perceived The Undertaker was unbeatable at WrestleMania. There was no chance he was going to lose. And on the surface, when you look back at it, you would think a guy like Brock Lesnar coming back to WWE within the last couple of years before this, that this was maybe the guy that would beat The Undertaker. But at the same time, look, here's this guy coming in. He's 21-0 and at WrestleMania, just unbelievable record. And it was just, it was getting to the point where just every year you knew the Undertaker would win and just didn't seem like the streak was endangered whatsoever. So when you watch that match back, it really does seem like the crowd is is kind of disengaged throughout the match. There's not the hype you would think uh, throughout the match, but when we get to that finish that just completely shocked everyone, you know, Lesnar hits the, uh, the F5 for the third time to get the victory. Uh, he had hit it a couple of times earlier. He had also kicked out of the tombstone. But when that three count hit the mat, I think WWE played this off perfectly and how they didn't immediately go to Lesnar's theme song, but in fact, they just cut to different crowd reactions. <laughs> you know, my wife is not a wrestling fan, but she remembers watching this show just because of the crowd reactions to this match. And they just did such a good job you know, from the production standpoint of cutting to the different people in the crowds and getting all of the crazed reactions. People couldn't believe what they had seen with The Undertaker losing. And so that that was gold. The match itself wasn't that great, but the ending and the finish was phenomenal. Uh, nobody really knew that The Undertaker was going to lose. I guess Vince McMahon made the call himself kind of late in the day. He decided the day of the show he wanted Lesnar to go over, and, and nobody really found out other than the performers. Uh, and The Undertaker himself was reportedly pretty surprised when he heard that uh, they hear Vince McMahon made the call and he was going to lose. Undertaker also had a rough go of it uh, in this match. He legit suffered a concussion during the match, so he was out of it. Uh, he was taken to the hospital that night, stayed overnight, was released the next day. So it was a rough contest for The Undertaker. But, uh, you know, looking back, I think one of the things that I have seen people debate is whether or not... Brock Lesnar was the right guy to beat The Undertaker. And I got to tell you, I think he was. I I know for a couple of years, people were saying maybe he wasn't the right guy because he was never on TV. We know Lesnar went on this several-year period, uh, even into this modern day right now, where he just doesn't appear on WWE television even when he is the champion. And, And that rubs people the wrong way. But, you know, it's hard to disagree with the fact that Brock Lesnar is an attraction, that Brock Lesnar is a huge star, and that since that moment in 2014 when he beat The Undertaker, he has been pretty much the star for WWE. So when you look up and down the card at you know who else was out there in 2014 to possibly defeat The Undertaker, now I guess they could have kept the streak intact for a couple more years and had someone beat him. But if you wanted someone else to beat him in 2014, I don't really see any better options because Brian, who was riding this massive wave of popularity at the time. Uh, he Obviously, he went over in the main event, won the world title, so we can't say Daniel Bryan. He had a better spot on the card. 
John Cena, and John Cena was kind of on his way out of the WWE within the next couple of years. Bray Wyatt, well, Bray Wyatt lost to John Cena. Uh, maybe if they had booked Bray Wyatt better, he would have been a guy to beat The Undertaker. They have these kind of these characters with some mystique around them, but Wyatt lost to Cena that night. Uh, we look at the guys that were in The Shield, Ambrose, Reigns, and Rollins. The, the Shield was still together at WrestleMania 30. Uh, they were victorious over Kane and the New Age Outlaws. Uh, kind of an underrated match, actually, that one is. Go ahead and watch that one back. So when I look at, at the names that were out there that night... Batista and Randy Orton in the main event with Daniel Bryan. There's really nobody else to have logistically defeated The Undertaker at that moment in time. Uh, we know Reigns beat him at WrestleMania a couple years later and what we thought was maybe The Undertaker's swan song at the time. But uh, in fact, he had already been defeated. So, I mean... Yeah, they could have saved it. I, I guess you can make the Roman Reigns argument, but we know the crowd has reacted to Roman Reigns and how the crowd reacted to Roman Reigns in that match. So w- would he have been the right decision? I don't I don't really think so. So if you really wanted The Undertaker to lose and for the streak to end, I just I can't make a case for anyone but Brock Lesnar, regardless of how he's been booked and how much he's appeared on WWE television at the time, but or since then, since that time. But with that said unbelievably memorable Wrestlemania moment uh, and we see the crowd at Wrestlemania 30 and and how they reacted to the Undertaker losing it's it's one of those great moments that will stick with us for a long time so that said I'm Ryan Drossi you can check me out again at Top Rope Nation you can find us wherever podcasts are found great stuff Ryan thank you so much and now it is time for my tag team partner my co-host the incomparable Jeremy Loss. Jay, what do you got? Well, up next, the maniacal prophet who spews his own brand of doctrine. Bray Wyatt versus the man who has made WrestleMania his home, John Cena. Bray Wyatt, with one thought in his mind, destroy the legacy of John Cena. What's up, guys? This is Jeremy with Two Jabronis Pod, and I wanted to talk about not necessarily my favorite moment at WrestleMania 30, um, but the moment outside of those big three that really uh, stood out to me, and that was John Cena versus Bray Wyatt. Um, this was the first iteration of Bray Wyatt's character. He was the the preacher, if you will. He he had Luke Harper and Eric Rowan as uh, his family, um, and and to me, this was probably the most over he's been since or before he was the fiend. So um, for him to get into his first WrestleMania against John Cena of all people, this was a huge moment for him. And uh, and they had the, the live music, everything about it seemed like this was going to be Bray Wyatt's moment to kind of go to the next step, going over John Cena at WrestleMania, establish him as a main event star. And, and they didn't do that, which was, uh, extremely surprising to me and, and also a little upsetting because you had the opportunity to really skyrocket, to, to put a rocket ship on the back of Bray Wyatt and shoot him to the top, the main event. Uh, but you, you, they decided to play it safe and go with John Cena. I mean, the match itself wasn't all that great. It was pretty bland, but I forgot in rewatching it how how much buzz there was in the crowd during this match how much interaction there was from the crowd. You had the crowd singing, he's got the whole world in his hands during the match. You had uh, just the overall reaction to Bray Wyatt coming out. Like The crowd popped like crazy for him. He was one of the more loud pops. 
Um, and John Cena was getting heel, uh, heel response. People were booing him. Obviously, everybody loves to boo John Cena. But, like, in this match, people were really rooting for, John, for, for Bray Wyatt to go over. And they didn't do that. Um, I thought they really had a chance. Like I said, they had a chance to really strap the rocket ship to Bray Wyatt. And they didn't do that. And, they, and it's something that we're continuing to see now. Like, again, with The Fiend, they had a chance to put him in the main event at WrestleMania. Really establish him as a star. And they ended up going back to a more well-established, well-known main eventer uh, in Goldberg. So uh, it just kind of shows that when it comes to Bray Wyatt, Vince has never been fully bought in on him. Um, even when he was red hot as Bray Wyatt coming from NXT, I think this is, I think John Cena was his second feud when he just debuted on the main roster. I think Kane was his first one. Um, and so to have that, and have that capability to be in a match with John Cena at WrestleMania, I just felt like they, it was a really missed, it was a really big missed opportunity. Um, so I, I thought in the match, like you you saw um, Bray Wyatt's character come out. You had the crab walk that was stunning to a lot of people. I thought I thought John Cena sold it really well, um, and, and the family getting involved here and there. Like there was the they tried to lure John Cena to the dark side with the chair spot just didn't work. Um, so all in all, like, like I said, this wasn't necessarily my favorite moment of WrestleMania 30. There's a lot more, obviously Daniel Bryan, uh, the, the rock, uh, stone cold and Hogan. Um, and then you had the taker match. Like those were all, uh, memorable moments that far exceed this one. But for me, this was still like one of those moments where it's like, oh, Vince isn't quite sure about this guy. And now, years later, we're still having this discussion. We're still wondering about, like, is Vince ever going to trust Bray Wyatt? And this was just the start of it because this was outside, like I said earlier, like outside of what he's doing with The Fiend, this was by far the most over he's been with the crowd and the most uh, the crowd has been interested in what he's doing. So um, that's all I got to say. Um, look forward to hearing what you guys have to, have to offer with the other memorable moments. Thanks, Jeremy. That Cena Bray feud is definitely coming full circle here at WrestleMania 36 in a few weeks and should be interesting to see if Cena is finally ready to pass the torch. All right, I guess it's my turn. Here we go. So, what you gonna do, brothers, when Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, WrestleMania 30, and the Superdome... Hi again, everyone. BJ Cruz here from Two Jabronis with a Wrestling Podcast. Back to talk about my favorite moment from WrestleMania 30. This actually wasn't a match, uh, but my favorite moment from WrestleMania 30 is the opening promo segment featuring Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and Hulk Hogan. And here's why. So, first of all, this wasn't a match, but uh, might as well have been <laughs> counted as like the seventh match on the main card because it ran a crisp, well, I don't know if it was crisp, but a firm 20 minutes. And obviously when you have that kind of star power in the ring at the same time, like you let that segment go and, and you let it breathe like a uh, like an expensive red wine. You're about to uh, you're pair with a beautifully seasoned steak. Uh, <laughs> I, I had steak for dinner. Sorry, sorry to any of our vegetarian listeners out there. Um, big picture wise, I think this was a smart WrestleMania for ESPN to show, by the way. Uh, at least first, because 
of that star power, right? And so even like a casual or even a trolley fan of wrestling will they're they're going to recognize at least one of the three in Austin Rock and or Hogan. And those who don't follow wrestling at all will at least recognize The Rock, aka Dwayne Johnson, aka Luke Hobbs, aka Hercules, aka that dude from San Andreas the movie. Before I get all giddy though about the segment, I should take a step back and acknowledge the fact that this is <laughs> it's now a bit of a tougher watch given all the stuff that's come out about Hogan over the past few years. Um, I'm not going to dwell on that too much and you can get to Googling if you're unfamiliar, but I feel like I I had to say that up top and, and address it before heaping praise on, on the segment. All right. So first Hogan repeatedly calling the Superdome, the silver dome is still ridiculously funny. <laughs> There's 79,000 people knew he was wrong. The entire broadcast team, Michael Cole, JBL, Jerry the King Lawler, they knew he was wrong. The cameraman knew he was wrong, and and he was the one who seemingly helped correct Hogan and kind of saved him in there. And I've seen this segment probably a hundred times by now, and I still cringe every time Hogan messes it up. Luckily, though, Hogan is saved again about four to five minutes into his promo by the pop-inducing glass shatter that brings out Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin teases a little bit that he may choose to whoop Hogan's ass, but instead praises him for everything he's done for the business. Uh, One thing that stood out to me here was Austin's innate ability to, to feel the crowd and really play off them. Um, as he did here, just by simply freaking listing WrestleManias 1 through 10 while the crowd chanted what after each number. That was incredible. You can actually see the wheels in his head spinning once he realizes he has a moment to connect with the audience and goes 110% with it. It's Again, it's, it's truly amazing to watch, and it was such a simple, simple move. Then, of course, the uh, biggest Hollywood star in the world, his music hits, uh, the one, the only, the great one, The Rock, which obviously drew a massive, massive pop. Uh, two things stood out to me once Rocky hit that massive stage out there. One, there's that giant-ass Brahma bull they put on the screen. Holy crap, it, the thing was huge. I, th- I thought it was going to come to life and attack everyone. And then two how much smaller Rock was back then. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude was still yoked as hell, but the size he is now, like after six more years of that 4 a.m. clanging and banging and in that massive travel gym he has, it's uh, it's 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 done wonders, <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh, Rock, man, he's he's just so goddamn smooth on the mic, man. Like, I think he's undoubtedly the best ever on the mic, and that's no disrespect to other greats on the mic, like you know your Dusty Rhodes or or your Paul Heymans of the world, or even Stone Cold, who was there in the ring with him. And and by, by the way, Rock and Stone Cold making fun of Hogan's Silverdome screw up is a legit laugh out loud moment every single time. Uh, it, it was it was just incredible incredible to me how effortless it was for The Rock to, you know, play the hits, all his catchphrases, 
and still drop a, a fire promo on such a huge stage like WrestleMania 30 with probably little to no practice. And it just sounded so authentic. Like nothing felt forced. And that's that's just always been a gift that uh, Rocky's had, you know, from from the beginning or after the Rocky Maivia <laughs> phase of his career. Uh, the segment ends with a beer bash, but not with Stone Cold's Broken Skull IPAs just yet. Just some uh, good old classic Steve Weisers. Uh, my co-host Jeremy seems destined to die on this hill that Austin barely drinks any of the beer that he chugs. And and frankly, I'm not going to stand for, for that kind of slander. As far as I'm concerned, Austin is the goat of beer chugging. <laughs> it was a uh, it was a feel good moment, and and just the type of beginning you'd want for such a huge WrestleMania. Uh, Vince and, and WWE like to they love to make a big deal of WrestleManias that end in in zeros or fives, and with this being the thirtieth WrestleMania overall, they couldn't have booked a more perfect segment to kick the show off with. I I watch this segment whenever I need a a pick me up, and you know given the current state of things in the world. We can all use a WWE Mount Rushmore of greatness. Pick me up. So, uh, you know, if you, if you haven't seen this segment in a while, if you didn't catch it on ESPN, definitely hop on the YouTubes or uh, or WWE Network and and get to watch. So, a couple more thoughts before we uh, we sign off here. Um, the ESPN experience was interesting in that they ran commercials in the middle of matches, so it very much felt like watching. You know, a Raw or a SmackDown. I think it'll be interesting to see what this means for ESPN and the uh, and WWE, their relationship moving forward. Uh, there was that report out there about a month ago, I believe, from from Dave Meltzer that WWE was in talks to sell their pay per view rights to ESPN. So maybe this was a test run of sorts for that. I mean, I, I guess we'll see, but. You know, WWE and ESPN have already dipped their toes into the water <laughs> with each other, given the fact that, you know, ESPN has given WWE their own SB award and ESPN's written coverage of WWE and professional wrestling in general on their site has increased exponentially over the years, especially uh, with, Rus- with this WrestleMania 30 card and uh, Brock Lesnar uh, ending Undertaker's undefeated streak. I remember reading articles on ESPN about that which which was kind of nuts at that time all right everyone thanks so much for listening to this mega collabo roundtable of sorts <laughs> from the blue wire wrestling pod squad uh, we've we've got to come up with a better name for us so, uh, so if you have any suggestions shoot that to us we hope you enjoyed it no matter what feed you're listening on but please do go show some love to the other wrestling pods on the network that you might not be listening to quite yet especially the three shows you heard from today you can find the fight game podcast top rope nation and two jabronis with a wrestling podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you download your podcasts And if you're one of our fantastic Apple Podcast users, please, please, please subscribe and rate all of these shows five stars. And while you're at it, follow the shows on Twitter. The Fight Game Podcast is at Fight Game Media. Top Rope Nation is at Top Rope Nation. And Two Jabronis with a Wrestling Podcast is at Two Jabronis Pod. It's two spelled out T-W-O. 
We'll be doing this all over again next week after ESPN airs WrestleMania 32. So stay locked to all of our feeds and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.